Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, different perspectives on what it means to be an older woman at work. As I'm now coming back into the workplace as a more senior-looking person, I am seen as either, well, I must be past it, or she's not the one who needs to go on the the leadership programs will just keep her where she is. It's time to start letting our hair go gray. I think it's going to be one of the militant struggles of the next decade is to get women in power with enough confidence and courage to do it and then just dare their workplaces to let them go. We greatly need more role models of what positive aging looks like. Age and possibility coming up on The Broad Experience. This topic feels quite pertinent to me because I started The Broad Experience at 41. I was one of the oldest by many years on the entrepreneurial journalism program where I launched the podcast. I'm now 52 and wrapping up the show after more than a decade – And of course, I'm thinking about what comes next and how easy or not it'll be to land work in a world that worships youth. I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm not a bit worried as well. Ageism and sexism are often described as the double whammy that hits women later in life. For Anthea Ogilvie, the negatives that can come with being an older woman at work came as a shock. She lives in Auckland, New Zealand, She's in her 50s and she works as a facilitator at an infrastructure corporation, helping to support people coming into the company who are coming off unemployment or lost their jobs because of COVID. She's not at the level or salary range she wants to be, though. In fact, she's on half the salary she was on in her previous job in the world of sustainable business. But that was a while ago. She came back to the workforce fairly recently after a long break. Anthea and I spoke on Zoom across many time zones, and you'll hear a little bit of distortion on the line. I was not intending to be away for 12 years, but that's what it was in the end. I, for various reasons, decided to stay home with my daughter until school, and then she wasn't quite ready for school, so we ended up homeschooling for a few years. And it wasn't until she was 10 that she went to school. My marriage broke up. We sold the house, you know, everything kind of changed. It was a big moment of change. Suddenly, Anthea was renting a home in an overheated housing market, looking for a job and finding it way harder than she expected to get one. She eventually landed her current job, which she enjoys in many ways. Facilitating is something she got into as a volunteer during the years she stayed at home with her daughter. But it's a lower-level role than she's used to, 
and she can't help but think her age and sex have something to do with how she's seen. When I've joined an organisation, I've always found lots of opportunities. I'm not experiencing that this time. Um, what I'm experiencing is quite a lot of blocking that if I, you know, have initiatives or ideas or strategic value that's not kind of encouraged because I guess I'm at a, ro- at a role where I'm part of the workforce, you know, they need me to deliver the work. And I'm learning quite a lot about that and I'm enjoying it, but it's not really sustainable for me on this income because it doesn't cover my costs. So, you know, I'm sort of eating away at my own capital with the view that this is the first step towards establishing a career as a facilitator. Anthea went on to say something about her past that I've heard from several listeners over the years, women in their 20s and 30s, that they're seen as too young to be in the role they're in or too young to get the role they want. I felt very much unseen for who I was as a young woman and often overlooked for being too young. And I looked quite young for my age when I was younger. And I think I spent a long time in my career feeling that I was seen as not ready yet. Whereas the men would come in much, much younger and be seen as needing a a step up to get going. And then as I'm now coming back into the workplace as a more senior looking person, I am seen as either, well, I must be past it, you know, or she's not the one who needs to go on the, on the leadership programs or just keep her where she is, you know, because she's performing a good, a good service there. And I think it's just, the, it's just a kind of overlooking without conscious intent. As often with these things, the ageism can feel amorphous, something she can't quite pin down. It's in the way people respond to her. She says as she's got into her 50s. I've started to notice that people will expect different things of me. Like I, I've always been a probably a more edgy kind of person, but, I, but people tend to see me more as quite uh, motherly, that I will be interested in their concerns, that I've got time and energy to listen, that I will be a good listener, for example. Those type of things suddenly are things that I experienced that I never experienced before. But there are some positive things at this new stage of her working life, and one of them is mentoring. She says no matter what your role is, as an older worker, you can always provide support to people in different ways, and she's happy to do that. Still, she is very aware that she's effectively starting all over again, career-wise, financially, at a time of life when she'd like to feel secure. I really want people to know that it's not you. Like, I really feel that we get told it's just, it's us, and that that is the kind of... uh, You know, that's the whole point of feminism (laughs) for me is women coming together and sharing their experience and going, you know, well, this is happening to me too. Yeah, this is happening to me too. And I've just heard enough stories of women in their 50s feeling ashamed that they're not successful, that they've not been able to hold on to the family home or their um, high-level occupation because they've made choices around you know, not because they've made choices, but that's what they feel. They feel ashamed. And I, I think it's, it's, um, it's an area of discrimination that is clearly shown by the poorer outcomes for women in retirement. And I just want people to know that it's really hard. 
<laughs> it's really hard to get a career back and life doesn't just suddenly go easily you know people people continue to have things happen you know divorces happen bad health can happen mental illness covid pandemics things still happen to us we don't just reach this plateau of sort of middle-aged comfort there are plenty of people that are restarting life in their 50s and older so I don't want them not to give up because I don't feel like I have a, a choice to not give up. I still want to have, you know, a rewarding career and contribute my skills. Something Anthea says she's working toward every day. Anthea is part of a growing number of women workers in their 50s and older. What my next guest calls the old demographic pyramid, with lots of younger workers at the bottom, fewer older ones at the top, is changing. But as she points out, the world is only slowly catching up with this new, untraditional reality. Aviva Wittenberg-Cox is no stranger to the broad experience. She's appeared on the show a number of times over the years, For the past few decades, her focus has been on bringing gender balance to organisations. Lately, that focus has broadened to include age. She says there are advantages for employers who wake up and embrace the reality of an older workforce, which includes more women than ever before, rather than fear it. Aviva is 61, a Canadian based in the UK after years of living in France, She's just finishing off a leadership course at Harvard designed for those transitioning after a full career to a new phase of working life. You say that the third quarter of women's lives can actually be incredibly fruitful career-wise. How so? What do you mean? Well, some of our younger listeners might not like this, but I actually think that adulthood for women starts at 50. So I think these are the best, not only career years, but life years, where I think women come into their own. This is not only for women, by the way. Uh, I think it's also very true for men who are interested in growing and evolving throughout what is now increasingly longer lives. But I always say that women get sublimated in our very male-dominated societies around the age of, I don't know, it differs a little bit, but somewhere between six and ten, we get very uh, disappeared, I think, by a culture that prefers other characteristics. And I don't think many women resurface for a long, long time. And then you generally see them popping back up again into their original selves, who they really wanted to be, what they were really like, the kind of dreams they might have really had. And I think you begin to hear a lot of that emerge at 50. So I'm with Michelle Obama. I think the 50s is all about becoming who we really were. But this is an old idea, right? Carl Jung said, the sign of a good life is to become who we really are. And I think we start that phase in what I call the third quarter or around 50. You're an optimist and I love that about you. And I always get new ideas from our conversations. But some of my listeners would kill me if I didn't mention what they would say is ages in which they've experienced. I mean, you know, I've heard from people who are in their 30s and work in tech. And of course, they're considered old ladies at 35. But you are sometimes passed over for opportunities, promotions, seen as as less than 
when perhaps you do reach your 50s or even younger? I mean, how can you become if the place that employs you doesn't see you that way? So it's not that I don't believe that ageism is rife. I absolutely think that both ageism and sexism are all about in the world. I've spent my career fighting the first. I'll spend the rest of my career fighting the second. The issue is just I don't necessarily see that when we bring the conversation to the table, that is the best way to frame the conversation. Of course, we're ageist and sexist because we're in a whole new world. We've never, we've never seen a world where women are educated and empowered as we have in just the last Remember how short this is, Ashley. Everybody keeps forgetting how fast this particular massive human revolution happened. And it's really less than 100 years, which in human history is the blink of an eye, right? So we've never seen women as educated and powerful and rising as they currently are. And then the same thing is true for age. I mean, this is new. Again, we have never in all of human history, experience societies where there are as many old as young, because the pyramid is, the demographic pyramid is shifting. We have fewer young people than we've ever seen before and more old people than we've ever seen before, which means the, the generations are kind of balanced in a way that's entirely new. And our old ideas of old age are obsolete, but it will take quite some time to get used to this shift. And you know, after our experience of watching the gender dialogue over these decades, it's it's a work of generations. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen in the next two years. It's going to be a long haul effort from a lot of us to shift perceptions and educate and build awareness. And I just find that sometimes running in screaming about isms is a good way of alienating the people you're trying to educate. She says ageism will eventually become as unacceptable as sexism and racism are now. But as she says, there's going to be plenty of work to do to get there, something she knows firsthand from her clients. I work with a lot of executive teams. They're not looking at this. They're, God knows there are enough issues that they are looking at. And so... We don't actually have to yell about ageism to raise awareness about the consequences of not having a longevity strategy in a company. A longevity strategy? That is an idea I had never heard before and something we'll talk more about in a few minutes. In the meantime, though, most organizations do still seem to operate on the old model, which very much fits all of us into ages and stages. As I mentioned a bit earlier, ageism can work both ways. You may be young and feel boxed in because a manager's told you you're too young to ascend to a particular role, or perhaps you're incurring resentment as a young boss of older workers. These things reflect the fact that we're often seen by employers as being in fixed places at fixed times in our lives. But at least if you're young, you're perceived as having more road ahead, more turns to take, For people on the older side, companies are still seeing 50s and especially 60s, which is kind of in many countries, the legal retirement age as a time of deceleration and imminent irrelevance and kind of want to nudge you out and get some younger, fresher, 
you know, all the stereotypes around old people as not creative and a little slower and a little more entrenched. And this is part of the ageist assumptions that we make. Some of which are held up by data. But Aviva says a lot of that data on older workers is from the past. And today's older people often don't resemble yesterday's. I was in a workshop last week. There were several 80-year-old women who I really was, you know, and I'm suffering from the same ageism as everybody else. Right? They just knocked my socks off. They were unbelievable. Smart, feisty, super creative, very innovative in their way of thinking. And I thought, wow, I mean, this generation of old people is going to rebrand the category and help companies adjust. But we've got millennia of history where basically we've been looking at old people as done, finished, has-beens, all of those ideas. It's going to take a lot of leaning in from individuals to prove that's not true. You're mentioning those women that you've been admiring lately does bring me to this topic. I mean, I can't talk about this without talking about the fact that women are judged on their looks a lot more than men are. And I think we're considered to look good uh, for our age. I'm doing air quotes here. If we remain sort of fairly slim and youthful looking. Um, And I just I want to talk about for a minute, at least about grey hair and, and appearance, because it would be remiss of me not to raise it. Yes. And I think, you know, we all have a lot of work to do. I think what I find very interesting is it becomes a competitive advantage for individuals to not have been overly beautiful in their youth. I don't know about you, but I was not particularly attractive when I was young, or I certainly didn't feel that way. And so I never relied on that pillar. Women who were beautiful, I think, suffer more of a loss at this time of life because it worked for them, right? Um, And so I think it's a question of building other resources and other pillars to your personal perceived value to yourself and to others. And I think we're getting a growing number of role models on the global stage who showed just how extraordinarily impressive older women can be, wrinkles, gray hair and all. And I think you know, the task we all have ahead of us is stop dyeing our hair. That's one of the joys of being older. You know, there are different ways of being older. One, you hate it and you see it as a time of loss and uh, elimination. The other is you love it because you don't care anymore what everybody thinks and you have your agenda and you're going to do it come hell or high water. But maybe just doing it is easier for some women than others. I brought up the recent story out of Canada of well-known TV news anchor Lisa Laflamme. She was let go from her highly visible job at CTV at the age of 58. During COVID, she had let her hair turn its natural grey and went on the air with, gasp, a glamorous head of grey hair. She was let go this past summer amid reports that her male boss had criticised the hair decision – Her firing blew up into a big news story thanks to social media. She'd worked at the company for more than 30 years. I asked Aviva about this. There were a lot of debates. If you dug into the story, whether it was really her grey hair 
or whether it's a whole combination of factors. And I think it's probably as ever a whole combination. It wasn't really only because she went gray. Somebody was in disagreement with her. I think there was a power struggle at the top. Um, the fact that some guy didn't think it, it was a good idea for her to go gray was probably a cumulative uh, reaction to a number of her other ideas, her high pay, the usual complaints we have about old people, right? They're expensive, they're feisty, they know their minds, they dominate. She was very powerful. She had huge results and performance <laughs> metrics. She was one of the most watched uh, news anchors in Canada. And I think it was really an interesting case study of how extraordinarily willfully blind an organization and its younger male leaders could be to think they could just fire her in a, such a completely undignified way and think that that what wouldn't be noticed wouldn't create a fuss would doesn't matter because she's an old lady with gray hair for all the anchors out there and all the professional women it's time to start letting our hair go gray. I think it's going to be one of the militant struggles of the next decade is to get women in power with enough confidence and courage to do it and then just dare their workplaces to let them go, even if they're on screen and visible because actually that's what we need, right? We greatly need more role models of what positive aging looks like. And I should say that Aviva is walking the walk. She is going gradually, and she says proudly, grey. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now I want to come back to that concept Aviva mentioned earlier a longevity strategy. She says all companies need one. As she put it in a recent Forbes piece, age will be to the 21st century what gender was to the 20th century, a key global talent and market shift. I have plenty of people listening to this who are influential within their organizations. So what if they haven't begun to think about the opportunity for longevity, what should they be thinking about? What are the things that all types of organizations can do? Well, first thing is to evaluate the current situation that they are in, in both an internal issue, what does their talent look like and who's running the place and what percentage of their employees and managers and leaders are within five or 10 years of retirement. That's always an interesting metric to get an idea of just how much of your knowledge may be walking out the door without you having prepared for it and done all the uh, strategies for knowledge transfers and succession planning. And two is to look at what kind of market are you serving and what proportions of your current or potential customers, buyers and decision makers, influencers, stakeholders of all kinds are 
of what generation and what might their expectations be and what opportunities for new products, new services might there be if you have a better understanding of the massive growth of the over 50 market. It's huge. And of course, it's not just companies that'll need a longevity strategy. It's people. Aviva says the trouble is most of us don't start thinking about our next phases until we're close to beginning them. She thinks of our lives as being in quarters and says the time to plan for the third quarter, the years between 50 and 75, is when you're still in your second quarter. So if you're in your 40s and think you might want to start a business 10 years from now or make another kind of switch, start planning for that transition now. Most of the people I talk to start thinking about this in their late 50s or early 60s as they're kind of preparing for retirement. You can do that, but it's tricky, right? It's a little harder to be doing and preparing and pivoting at that age than if you're a decade younger and you start preparing that way just because you have a much longer runway. Depends on the size of the pivot. And if you want to continue in your own organization, the issue is just always the same, right? Delivering value, staying up to date, um, being trained and upskilled and refreshed in whatever is going to be the new challenges of organizations and recognizing that usually what got you here isn't going to get you through the next phase and being very attuned to the shift in the kind of work you want to do and the kind of value you bring You may not be what we were when we're young, which can be fast and super hardworking and, you know, physically leaning into very hard physical jobs, but we can be conveners, transfers of knowledge, collaborators, the grown up in the room, the emotional intelligence that a lot of places need. There are all kinds of different skills that we have to be able to evaluate in ourselves, build nurture, and then sell to employers if we want to work with them. Should we be paying for certain upskilling ourselves or should we be relying on our organizations to do that for us? Well, listen, if they're not going to pay for it, the choice becomes pretty stark. Absolutely, you have to keep learning and growing and networking. I'd say those are the three big things. You want to be keeping up, keep changing. One, just personally for yourself, right? Um, I think if you want to grow old well, you have to stay personally fit emotionally and physically. And that almost requires growth, growth in your muscles. You have to keep up your muscle. I mean, um, I've just been learning all about all the muscles that we lose as of age 60 at this kind of dramatically accelerating speed. So you, you know, everybody, well, people are beginning to really understand that we have to stay fit if we want to age well. I think the exact same thing is true for your career and your brain. you got to nourish it, build those muscles, grow them learn new things, meet new people, get new challenges, stretch into stuff, have some fun. And that doesn't have to be climbing Kilimanjaro or, you know, learning a new language or something wildly dramatic, which is often what we see in the media. But it is about just keep developing brain cells and new things that you want to learn. And I think a lot of that is new people to not stay too anchored in the same networks, but to keep adding to them over time and eventually to shed some as well, right? Because you can't manage everything. Right. 
you tend to have more time as you age. I mean, for a lot of people listening to us who may still be in the middle, you know, overwhelmed by multiple caring responsibilities and children and elders, there comes a time, let me tell you, where you aren't taking care of that many people. They've moved on and you have more time. And then it's a question, how do you use that time? Aviva Wittenberg-Cox. Aviva writes about a lot of these issues around work and ageing at Forbes. I'll link you to some of her pieces under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. And I'll point you to some of the other episodes I've done with her in the past. And if this topic is something that particularly interests you, I have done at least two other shows on this over the years. One specifically focuses on the ageism that women encounter. That's episode 146. It's called Ageism or Prejudice Against Our Future Selves. It also features someone who found that starting a new career when she had some wrinkles worked quite well for her. As ever, I would love to hear from you uh, about your experience of aging at work or anything else. You can find me through the show's Facebook page, on Instagram, or you can email me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com. That's The Broad Experience for this time. There are a couple more shows coming up before this series comes to an end. I hope you'll be listening. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.